Hello, just before we start this podcast, I would like to pay tribute to Sunderland fan and former British Army captain Chris Collier after he sadly passed away on Sunday nights. Uh, our thoughts at the Echo and of Graham, I'm sure, are with his fiance and his kids and also with everybody in Turkey as well after the, the sad earthquake there. Um, still waiting on news from former Newcastle player Christian Atsu. Our thoughts are, are very much with everybody over there, including Sunderland fans in Turkey as well, of which I know there are a few. Um, but yes, welcome to the Raw podcast. My apologies for having to get off on a, a sombre note, but I thought it was right and proper that we uh, that we note these things. I'm joined by Graham Atkinson of the Wise Men Say podcast. Graham, how are you doing? Hello, mate. Yeah, good, thank you. Good. Um, we're hopefully expecting uh, sobs of ALS as well at some point, but I think he's having difficulties getting on the stream. We'll be able to add him, hopefully, if he gets those uh, issues sorted out. But, um, Graham, the, um, we'll talk about Millwall and Fulham and all that, but the, the two stories today that have, have really dominated sort of Sunderland headlines have been the Charlie Methven to Charlton uh, takeover rumours slash reports and also the, the Manchester City uh, financial improprieties. We'll start with Methven. Uh, I feel it's our obligation to warn Charlton fans of um, of the the impending tornado that is about to uh, to hit them. Um, keep it clean. But what are your thoughts on uh, what are your thoughts on Methven and, and those Charlton reports? It's it's yeah sympathies for Charlton supporters. It's difficult really know to know where to start in terms of you know if we wanted to sort of trot through the the top ten of of, of concerns or issues that we've had as supporters when it, when it comes to Charlie Methven. But um, I assume he's gonna you know he's the sort of figurehead. Uh, he's not presumably stumping up uh, a significant amount of his own cash because you know if he follows. The same pattern as he did uh, for the Sunderland takeover. Um, I'm assuming he's some sort of figurehead for for others with with the sort of financial clout. Um, I don't know the the detail behind it, but yeah, I suppose it would be just to see as as Charlton supporters. I think they they probably can expect some rough times ahead. Um, so sympathies sympathies to them really. Yeah, absolutely. I think he is. It's reported to be he's sort of fronting it up, um, some sort of US investment behind him. But just uh, just for old time's sake, when Methvin was at Sunderland, obviously he purchased the club alongside Stuart Donald and Madrox. Uh, the purchase of the club was leveraged against the Premier League parachute payments, which obviously didn't sit well with Sunderland fans. Um, there was the MSD Holden story that they had bought the club when they hadn't. That was under his watch as well. They did secure a £10 million loan from MSD, which was leveraged against club club assets, which was hugely, hugely concerning at the time. There was the academy situation, the selling of several highly rated youngsters, Barley Mumba, Sam Greenwood, Logan Pye, Lucas Stevenson, I'm probably forgetting a few as well, Joe Hugel. Um, there was the setting Jack Ross a 100 points total in League One um, after Jack Ross failed to live up to those pretty lofty expectations. Methven and Donald then appointed Phil Parkinson. He did call Sunderland fans parasites as well. Uh, he later apologised for that. There was the um, questionable handing of staff members, which Sunderland till I die um, laid bare for the world to see. And there was a hammering of fans again at a supporters meeting. Um, they also entertained Mark Campbell as a as a possible uh, buyer for the club. So it's a bit of a, a litany of disasters, Graham, isn't it? Really. 
Uh, did you mention the entrepreneurs comment there? Amongst no, I didn't. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. So obviously, in the northeast, we're not. In the northeast, we're not capable of understanding <laughs> businesses. I think that was something along those lines, wasn't it? I mean, just yeah, yeah like you say, a litany of of disasters, one after the other. I mean, for someone who has that PR background, it, it, it always felt as though someone within the club must have been on his shoulder trying to kind of watch out for the, the, the metaphorical fires he was he was uh, igniting. So, yeah, sympathy to Charlton supporters. Indeed, the other big story, uh, very annoying from a Sunderland point of view, actually, is, is the Manchester City financial impropriety story. Um they're going to be in the bat- in a battle with with the Premier League for a while over this one. The Premier League aren't happy. It's over a nine year period, which includes Sunderland's 2014 Carabao or Capital One Cup final lost to Manchester City. Obviously, that competition's administrated by the EFL, so there's no suggestion that anything could be done over that. But there's been, I think, first off to say, Graham, these these accusations slash charges, whatever you want to call them, against Manchester City from the Premier League are pretty unprecedented, to be honest. Um, So we don't know what punishment Manchester City will uh, receive. There's rumours that they won't even be able to appeal it like they did with the UEFA charges a couple of seasons ago. There could be a stripping of Premier League title. There could be, there's even people talking about relegation or points deductions. Who knows what will happen? But um, hugely frustrating from a Sullen fan's point of view, given you know, that cup final and, and the chance to, to win at Wembley, going 1-0 up as well. And if thinking back to that cup final as well, Man City won it with their bench and being able to change the game. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think, you know, if the whole the, the whole thing around financial fair players is, is to try and uh, um, ensure that there's some sort of competitive, fair uh, and, and com- competitive process that kind of sits sits behind how these football clubs are run and you know, if there's been a, a an unfair advantage at any point during their the time that the current owners have have, have run the club, then yeah, any any other team, any opposition is gonna is gonna rightly feel rankled, and and, and us included. Um, I think, as you see, it's unprecedented. I think there's there was there a hundred allegations, yeah, uh, a hundred charges against them. I mean, it, it feels fairly weighty. Um, I think the you know the 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 Premier League are probably going to want to try and show that they've got some teeth uh, when it comes mm. to governing their own uh, league. Obviously, there'll probably be some, you know, p- political elements to it um, with with the, the the proposals around having some um, uh, independent regulator that that kind of governs governs over football. So this is, I'm sure, I'm sure Man City will. They'll, they'll try and fight it. I'm, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure they'll they'll probably look at some of the the allegations. And I think I, I read somewhere around the fact that some of the the, the the charges or the allegations have come in the form of emails and of these being leaked and so on. So I'm sure they'll push it. I'm sure they'll charge it. But we're no different. I'm sure to anyone else who've who've lost out or, uh, against Man City in the last few seasons. Uh, if, if Stoke, Stoke as well. Someone, I'm thinking of that FA Cup final. Yeah, uh, if there's if there's been any unfair advantage through financial irregularities, then, and and you just wonder whether or not you know it'll end up being a case of will there be fine? Will will some of these charges end up watered down and there'll just be a fine? Because um, I think it, it's it's how far the Premier League want to push it. Um, 
but it would be nice if we could uh, if we could benefit retrospectively. I'm sure. I mean, it probably have this. There's, there's little merit in winning a trophy <laughs> nine years, <laughs> nine years yeah. later, but uh, whatever it is. But um, yeah, yeah, it would um, it would be bittersweet, wouldn't it, to sort of win it not on the pitch? I don't think it'll it'll happen. To be honest, um, on that Premier League, and whether they're going to be harsh or not, I think we're all still waiting for the sanctions from the Super League, aren't we? So, so um, I think they were pretty pretty soft on that. I'm going to welcome in now. So we've got Owen David, the SAFC exiled. Magnum is going to fill in tonight for Sobs, who's having technical difficulties. Welcome to the podcast, Owen. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, James. Thank you for having me on. Hello, Graham. How are you? It's good to be on and uh, good to talk to Sunderland Football Club. So, yeah, all good to be here, mate. Thank you very much for the invite. I'm actually pleased to announce that Sobs is here. Sobs, how are you doing, mate? Well, I'm to find it on my phone eventually. My laptop's not speaking to it. but <laughs> Well, brilliant. So, gentlemen, on the, on the agenda tonight, we've... Um, We've had the, the Charlie Methven story. We'll go to Sobs first. What, what's your take on on Charlie rocking up at uh, Charlton Athletic, potentially? Well, um, I'll have to get in touch with my old university mate, Keith, who's a big Charlton fan, and have a good giggle at him, because <laughs> I can't believe they've bought that snake oil story again about the three American billionaires or whoever he's got allegedly in tow, because they've, I mean, it's been so well publicised, they'll have made a television series out of it. They can, you know... I hope for their sake it doesn't go wrong, but you just get the feeling that it might be very much the same same old story. Yeah, indeed. Owen, what's your what's your take on the uh, the Charlie Methvin situation? Keep it clean. We are a family podcast, and I know Charlie. Methvin, <laughs> um, I know Charlie Methvin can raise uh, raise pulses among Sunderland fans. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I always try and keep it clean. I, I always try and avoid any uh, any any potty mouth language. But yeah, yeah, I just I, I pity poor pity poor Charlton. You know, I think. Charlton fans, go and watch Sun until I die. You'll see what sort of a sort of a person he is. You'll see what sort of an ornery is he is. As you tweeted out earlier, James, you know, the way he speaks to staff, what he says, you know, the fact that he called fans parasites, which he later apologised for, the lies he tells about, you know, the fans demanding the club be so I I, I pity Charlton. I, I you know there are they're a good community club, and I just I really do worry for them if um, if Methven gets involved with them, and especially if he takes his mate Donald with him. Absolutely, uh, Sobs as well. We, we touched very briefly, me and Graham, on the the Manchester City situation. Obviously, a bit frustrating for Sunderland fans. A massive news story at the moment. What's your take? Yeah. Well, we've got the League Cup one before Newcastle did. Get in. <laughs> um, well, the, the thing is, it, it'll mean nothing because they got done years ago, didn't they? Not that many years back they, for illegal deal, got fined. 39 million quid and it just it's like taking small change out of the pockets unless unless they take points off them now or you know give them a, a 10 point at least debit at the start of next season then it's pointless doing anything because they just chuck more money at it yeah Owen what's your what's your opinions on that I absolutely I agree with Sobs. I think yeah, unless unless you actually give them a big point deduction, or they take the same uh, policy the, that Serie A took a couple of seasons ago when they relegated uh, Juventus, and I think they relegated AC Milan as well. You know that's that's the only thing that clubs like that understand. There is no point finding Manchester City. They are you know they they've got billions. It's small change to them and. To be honest, if you if they find them ten points this season, I don't think it'll make the slightest bit of difference. You've really got to hit them hard and. I, th I think this is a real test of the Premier League to see how strong they're actually going to be on things like this, because I think you know with the with the fact that the Premier League is so ruled by money, if 
if they don't, if they just give them a big fine, there's going to be clubs that are going to, you know what, we're going to do exactly the same because the precedent's been set now. So I, I, I really hope the Premier League take tough action and I think they should follow the example of Serie A and relegate them. I really do think they should relegate them like they did, like they did with Juventus and AC Milan. That would be a, an absolutely huge story. A huge story indeed. We'll move on to more Sunderland-focused matters now, Graham. We were speaking a little bit before we came on the podcast about Christian Speakman, that whole striker issue that seems to be dominating the discourse still um, a week afterwards. Uh, he came out, he, he gave an exclusive interview to Phil Smith, which you can read over on the Sunderland Echo. He also spoke to Frankie through club channels. Uh, Graham, what did you make of his... his um, his, his words on both, I'm guessing, specifically around the striker situation. I think you've got to sort of praise the, the club for the for the transparency in the way that you know he's come out and kind of fronted up the the, the decisions and in, in the January transfer window. Um, I think in terms of the striker situation, I do find his comments baffling around that the fact that um, that our use of a, a number nine isn't particularly prevalent in our side compared us to, to others. I'm, I'm not really sure what, what, what he's been watching for the last couple of seasons. But, um, you know, we're clearly we're heavily reliant on on number nines in, in focal points. And the, the data, the stats suggest that that's the case when, when we were without them for those sort of seven or eight uh, games, uh, those three months. So um, I think we, we were a striker short before we started. Um, and, and in, in the summer, we should, we should have had that that third striker. Then I think you know we we went down to to to, to, to have enough strikers, and, and we've we've seen what happened when we sort of took that risk. And I think lessons should have been learned. I don't think it was just a a case of not not being able to find one within forty eight hours to go. I mean, you know, we've had we've not signed a permanent striker since Ross Stewart, so uh, mm-hmm. he, he had that he had that shot across the bow. There when when we lost Stewart and Sims, and I feel like Gelhart w- was that third striker. Uh, we should have had we had all month to sign a replacement for Sims. We shouldn't have been reliant upon upon him returning. Uh, and I can kind of I get I understand how Stewart is probably an ask too far in terms of replacing him. Um, so yeah, deeply frustrated. Um, it, it's. I think if, if you look at the transfer window as a, as a whole, um, you know the the narrative around these things tend to be pretty polarised, and it's either been a really good window or a really really bad mm-hmm. one. I think that the, the truth of it is, if you were looking at it, the whole, it's difficult to say because a lot of the lads that we signed haven't kicked the ball in senior football. Um, so, but it, in I think if you look judging it on potential, then. We've 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 signed some good players there who hopefully can develop. We've got good pedigree. The profile of them, you know, is is is, is good. So hopefully they can develop. But the striker situation, I find that I find that baffling and and and, and really frustrating. Owen, we'll go to you first, as I know you've got limited time with us with other commitments tonight. But how are you feeling generally about Sunderland's Sunderland's depth and and particularly that striker issue? Obviously, came to the fore again at Millwall, Geldhart coming into a new side, didn't really click for him, but he looks a good play. He probably needs a couple of games to sort of feel his way into Sunderland's side. You know, where's your head at with it all? 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree. I think Graham was right. You know, it is very baffling how over two, it's two transfer windows now. We haven't been able to to solve the striker problem. And the, the bit that I found, found a little bit concerning was that I think both Mowbray and Speakman both said, unless I misread it, that they were happy with the two strikers, you know, Stewart and Gellhart. That that was, you know, had, had Stewart and get, Stewart stayed fit, I genuinely think they wouldn't have gone for a third striker unless Sims had, by some, you know, by some miracle, actually become free from Everton. Um, it's the one, but it, it does really concern me because I think, you know, you look at the games we've played and a lot of the times it's very pretty, it's very good football up until that final third. But, you know, when there isn't a Stewart there or there isn't a Sims there, there's no target, there's no point to play the ball through to. And that's where it breaks down. And if if you look at, um, you know, Gellhart on, on Saturday, yeah, it is going to take time for him to adapt. Of course, it is coming into a team he hasn't played you know, a great deal of first team football, you know, this season. But he 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 goes out to the channels, he works the channels, he comes off to receive the ball. He, he's not a guy who goes in behind like a Sims and like a Stewart. And that is something we're missing. You know, like in the in the Shrewsbury game when Stewart wasn't on, I mean I know it was only Shrewsbury, but there was no out ball there until Stewart actually came on. And I think that's something we were really missing on Saturday. And after Stewart went off against Fulham, again there was no target there. And that it does concern me. And I think over the next few weeks, they're going to have to try and adapt to have not having that number nine and playing a perhaps a slightly different style because of the way Gail Hart plays. But looking at the fixture list, there's an awful lot of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday coming up, even mm. after this Fulham game. You know, there's I think we've got Reading and then we play, I think, against QPR away on the Tuesday night, and then we've got a, then we've got Bristol City on the Saturday, then we're then we've got another a game again on I think on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. So are they going to have in time in training to make those adaptations? The depth elsewhere doesn't concern me, but the striker depth is a real concern for me going forward. And I think it's I think it's going to probably hold them back in terms of making that playoff push, you know, whatever you feel about that. Yeah, which is a shame. Sobs, do you, do you have a degree of, of sympathy for the recruitment team, given the, the bad luck here and there, injuries and, and recalls and whatnot? Or is it a problem, really, that they should have had solved a window well, ago. Hope they would did solve it. You would hope I've sort of been defending them saying of course they've been looking they would be daft not to but um, they are hard to find good strikers especially we want one that will hit the ground running and that's even more so now that we haven't got Stuart but um, if they're saying we don't need the number nine as a focal point I've, like everybody else I find that a bit strange seeing as it's been very obviously a focal point and uh, as we've just discussed, Gellhart, he looked a bit lost at times because we were doing all the pretty stuff down the wings from fantastic triangles down the right-hand side. But they're never going to take a chance and sling one to the penalty spot when you've got a five-foot-nine centre-forward against a six-foot-four centre-half. He's just not going to win the ball. So they were, we were stopping and looking for other options, runners coming in, and it, it didn't really happen. Although they you know, have to say that all the, the whole team never give up. They don't sort of let their heads mm. get go down, the, the spirit was there right till the end of the game and, you know, they were still chasing for it. But it is a strange situation where no strikers at all could be found apart from another one on loan. You would have thought there's, some, there's got to be somebody out there somewhere that, that could have come in and done a job at some stage without, you know, we're now stuck on the, the free agents. Mm-hmm. So whether we go for another big two in Lafferty and uh, Wickham, <laughs> yeah, Chris Martin as well has just got a QPR today and he's probably one of the only acceptable yeah. options out there. Speakman distanced himself from, from the free market entirely, free agent market entirely. I think the concerning thing for me is is that 
Geldhart's obviously a, a good, tidy player with with pedigree, scored in the Premier League. I've no doubt he'll be a success for Sunderland, but that focal point is a, is a massive issue. I'll use the Burnley game as an example. Sunderland went 2-0 up at the Stadium of Light. Um, you know, Burnley changed things in the second half, came on strong, started to show the quality, and Sunderland just needed an out ball, and they didn't have Sims or Stewart at that point because they were both injured, but they were desperate for somebody just to hold the ball, get them up the pitch, Um and you can win games playing nice, tidy football with Geldhard coming deep. I've got no doubt about it. But sometimes when the screw has been turned in big games against good teams in the Championship, you need somebody to hit Grimm. You need a player to hit. Well, Gelhart, you, you do, yeah. Gelhart, uh, for me, is more of a, a sort of playmaker number nine. Yeah, what a presser that one. So I think we're going to have to just learn to, to adapt and, and change our approach again um, so you know we've thus far this season it's all been about that out out ball and focal point and you know in defense as well if you think about how effective Stuart and Sims are at set pieces mm, and in defending in box we don't have that height now so yeah we've got a striker and 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 you know Hopefully, he, he does hit the ground run and provide some goals. Uh, I think it's unfair to judge him on the Millwall game. I mean, clearly, I think if if any game was was to was to make he was make his debut in, that's probably the one in this league that we wouldn't we wouldn't want. I think Evans as well was a was a big miss just having yeah. that experience uh, in in midfield. So if if we after a January transfer window as it was, if we wanted any game uh, up next, it wouldn't have been Millwall. Would have been my my pick. So hopefully we can judge better on on Saturday when he, when he makes his um his debut at the at the stadium. Absolutely, Owen. I'll throw this one to you first, so you can uh, so you can get off for your next commitment. But what were your thoughts generally on the Millwall game? I th- I th- it was really encouraging for me because I think it was yeah there was there was that they never gave in. Uh, they just kept on fighting to the end, and and that's the difference with this team. I mean, how many Sunderland teams in the past would have gone one nil down and for, and would, would just collapsed, you know, in recent years? But I, the, these lads never give up. They, they they keep trying to play. They keep battling. They keep fighting, and and they, they really do represent. I think the shirt and the fans so well. I'm just, I was re- really really just um, proud of what they did on Saturday and how they just kept on going. And, and like, you know, like, like the guys have said, Millwall is a, is not an easy place to go and play. It is, it is an absolute cold Millwall are a very dirty team and, you know, a physical <laughs> team and Sunderland fought back and they did brilliant. Excellent. Well, Owen, thank you very much for, for joining us. And we'll, you can, of course, head yeah. over to Owen's uh, YouTube channel as well. Owen, tell us a little bit about that before you go. Uh, so yeah, I'm running a channel called the SAFC Exile Magnum, uh, bring you daily Sunderland videos um and do podcasts as well it's just news views updates about the club and do live streams and things like that so it's all it's all stuff on all stuff to do with the with the club we all love and uh yeah fantastic so yeah thank you very much for that james thank you for having yeah. me on no worries anytime enjoy safc fan tv i know that's where you're off next doing the rounds tonight yeah i'm off there next going <laughs> to the rounds tonight yeah okay take care guys thank you guys see yeah, you later yeah. right subs and graham atkinson remain out of the four amigos, um, what shall we talk about next? Graham, we'll get uh, we'll go to Sobs. We'll get your thoughts on on the Millwall game. I thought yeah, Dennis Serkin was incredibly brave to to put his head in there like that. Uh, 
I, I do think I wonder what Roy Keane's thinking if he's heard that he's just doing his job. But I've, I think it does take a degree of bravery to, to put your head right in there. Well, it does because I mean, he, he didn't get off the ground. He didn't have to. But like the one he scored uh, earlier in the season, you know, he, he flung himself at. He was going to get there first. Whatever happened, and we from where we were stood, you, you heard the goalkeeper's fist make contact with him, and we we mostly winced and we were looking at him on the ground. And just glanced aside and saw the ball go inside, just inside the post. So, um, yes, it 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 sort of uh, exemplified what the whole team's about, as as Owen said. There, they they kept fighting to the end. They were under a lot of physical uh, pressure because I, I mean I was watching counting the fouls, and we got up to fifteen Millwall fouls by half time. <laughs> and somehow the BBC only found another four in the second half. But it, was, it seemed like the manager said there was a foul every few seconds. And they lifted Roberts on one side and then they lifted um, Clark on the other within you know within seconds of each other. And the, the ref had a hard game to look after there because he could quite have easily got up to six or seven red ca- uh, yellow cards by half-time. Red would have been a bit uh, generous to us. But they're, <laughs> they're, 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 they've got a, a way of playing Millwall. They set about that, you know, if you had the ball... You know, if I'm well, you're going to get walloped immediately afterwards. And, you know, it took a naughty one on Patterson for the ref to have a real strong word with any of them. And it brought the mm-hmm. first book in. So we we sort of rose above it. It would have been easy to resort to like tactics, which are probably not very good at because we, you know, our midfield in particular don't have the size of player like Roberts, Clark, Ahmad, uh, Michu. They're not going to kick people and hurt them. The Millwall lads are a lot bigger and stronger and more experienced in those dark arts, shall we call them? So it was it was a good character test, and we came through it positively. It's a cliche, Graham, that the the den is a hard place to go. Millwall are a hard bunch to to play in front of, but it's a cliche because there's there's usually an element of truth somewhere along the line. I think it was their biggest attendance since before 95. Christ, or yeah, yeah, before Christ ninety five, something like that. But um, Paul makes a good point there about you know Sunderland being such a, a young squad and being such a such a lightweight squad in many ways. A lot of technical technical players there, but other than Bath Ballard and the goalkeeper, you you start struggling to find a, a player over six foot. Yeah, I think I, I think in, in on that basis, it has to go down is 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 a positive result. I think they'll, you know, if you think about how many players are, are probably. Never have never faced anything like that. Uh, I mean, there was one or two, you know, probably kick. I mean, Anderson came on for his debut, hadn't kicked the ball in senior football. Uh, Equa uh, making his, his his second appearance uh, again, hadn't kicked the ball in senior football before that. Um, Mishu, uh, first season, Dan Neil, second season. Um, a lot of inexperience, a lot of light, uh, physically uh, lads playing the game, and, and they wouldn't they wouldn't have come across anything like that. So, and, and probably struggle to. I can't think of another side really in in, in the championship where they'll they'll come up against that. And I, I think on that basis, you know, you know, arguably we we got lucky. Could they have had a pen? Um, probably on another day of that their their goal, their their honeymoon goal stands. So, but yeah, you know, we wrote our luck. We we got stuck in. I, I was pleased. Um, to see that Mishu, yeah, although he's he's kind of seven stone wet through, um, can still he still sort of put himself about and he doesn't shy yeah. away from a challenge and doesn't shirk from a challenge, which is good and pleasing to see. Um, so you know, on I'm sure you'll come on to it, but in terms of Fulham, I wonder whether or not 
we could rest Dan Neil and, and drop him into the in, into the sixth role. And I think that that would be my only concern with the games coming thick and fast, and arguably with the squad um, uh, light, and, and we've still got a few five or six injuries there uh, to, to to first teamers. I, I'm, I'm, my view would be maybe we need to make a few changes uh, on Wednesday. Well, we'll uh, we'll come on to that issue, Sobs. I did enjoy Tony Mowbray's comment about Michou at Millwall saying that um, you don't get you don't get that in League One, uh, League One. Sorry, um, I thought, well, I thought that, yeah, yeah, I thought that was entertaining. But Sobs Graham, Graham raises an excellent point. What do you do team selection wise for Fulham? Owen, who we had on earlier, was mentioning the 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 fixture list. It's coming thick and fast. It's going to be two games a week. Um, there's the backlog because of the World Cup and whatnot as well. Sunderland squad's pretty thin. They're all young. Um, you want to avoid injuries as best you can, obviously. But it's a it's a big game, Fulham Stadium yeah, FA Cup replay, and Sunderland actually don't have a striker for that game because Geldhart is cup tied. Yeah, it's it's I mean, you 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 want to win the leagues. Well, we say the league's more important, but in reality, we're not going to be challenging for the first or second place in the league. So, how important is it compared to? To having a good cup run, but then you, you know you've got to you protect your players, but you've got to play them. Otherwise, there's no point protecting them. Um, <laughs> and we don't know when. I, I forget when uh, O'Neill's available again, but he, you know, he played seven days a week, so we need we need him back in there, and he might even play up front if we need him to. Who knows? <laughs> he'll he'll fill any role. Um, but we are stuck without a striker on um, Wednesday, but. We managed for 70 minutes at Fulham and, you know, we just about matched the opposition, came away with a, with a replay in mind. So, we, yeah, they, you've got to play them at some time. We've brought them all in so that we've said the ones for the future, but the ones we've, we've brought in have shown that they've, they've got lots of ability. It's just the experience and like the, the match awareness that they're, they're perhaps lacking. So we, we probably do well to give a couple of them a try on Wednesday um, Burnett is obviously one who can occupy yeah. wide position if we decide we're going to go with pure speed instead of Roberts playing and small short passes with uh, Ahmad and uh, whoever's playing at the fullback position. It's um, it's live on BBC One as well, Graham. Which you automatically you want Sutherland to win every game, but you want them to put the best foot forward when it's beamed to a national television audience, but. How would you go about negating that striker problem? It's a it's a big question for Tony Mowbray. Sobs has laid out some options there, but there's no real natural fix. And you know, Max Thompson, it's a bit of a big game to, to even have him on the bench, really. Do you think Sunderland just sort of go with a false nine and mad floating around? But would you would you maybe give him a break as well? It's it's such a tough one. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, if if Ahmad is then injured, um yeah, yeah. No, I don't even want to consider that. <laughs> so, um, do you play Ahmad centrally? Uh, do you play? A, do you have the false nines, Clark. Um, did Did Jewison Bennett play centre forward for his country? Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, but he doesn't look. He doesn't look like a natural. English number nine. Not that not that's a bad enough. thing, but um, not that that's a bad thing, but uh, it's a tough. Yeah, that'll be a tough, tough assignment for him. I think that. Yeah, I'll probably bring O'Nine back into it. Um, and Pritchard, would when he get some minutes, and then you know if he gets a half, and then uh, a bit, a bit longer on Saturday, 
um, it's a difficult balance and act because you know it's like you see, and I think probably the the other thing to say though is whoever they pick, I think will put a a, a performance in and that that sort of the style of player that the 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 interplay between the players I think seems to be instilled into them. So whoever whoever turns out, I'm sure there'll there'll be a performance or a, a display there, and um, I'm sure they'll be entertained. Um, I think it's it's a big occasion to throw in some of the youngsters, but I think yeah, with this squad being as light as it is, it's probably a, a game where they're going to have to just kind of be chucked into the deep end. I think for some of them, I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily sweeping changes, but I certainly think maybe there are three or four changes I'd be inclined to make. Indeed. Well, quickly was on to the, the last topic on my list, Sobs. Um, back on the contract front now, Christian Speakman did say that um, Alex Pritchard and Danny Barter are under contract for next season. Uh, their original contracts were due to expire in the summer, but he revealed that they've, they've both got options with, which have been triggered similar to Ross Stewart. I think that's that's good news for me. I think Bart has probably, probably been low-key player of the season and, and Pritchard in those early days... Um, early championship days, I think, was instrumental in in winning and, and drawing and getting points. So I'm pretty pleased with that. I'm very pleased. You know, there were rumours because of Bath's age that he would go in the summer. But I think, we've, especially with Bailey Wright looking like he's going to be on his way, we need to maintain some experience at the heart of defence, even though Dan Ballard looks like he's been around for ages. Um, and Pritchard showed, you know, his ability with a dead ball. On Saturday, ironically, put it to where Ross Stewart would have been, and it was down to an average-sized fullback to get his head to it. But he just shows what a you know what somebody can like that can do with the ball at his feet, and he's almost somebody who was forgotten until he became fit again. Or, you know, so he you know he's an option to have, as we've talked about false nines and whatever deep lying forwards who are, who are going to be there in the centre in some shape or form. He's a guy who's probably got more goals in him than he's shown for us. So let's hope that he starts getting his shooting boots on as well as playing those clever balls in. Pleased with those decisions, Graham? Uh, yeah, I feel like they need to keep that uh, a, a core of the squad together. Um, I, I think it's important that we keep as many experienced players as, as we possibly can. Um, you know, Billy Wright leaving, um, I think, probably isn't a huge loss on the pitch. Um, but then it's kind of what what he provides off the pitch and what other experienced players provide off the pitch in, in terms of uh, a, a guiding hand, a, a kind of a common voice when maybe games or you know results aren't necessarily always going our way. It's that those sorts of things that are difficult to quantify that you you, you don't realise you, you you know that the bring or, or some supporters maybe not realise the bring when it's off the pitch. So I think is is certainly with the average age of the squad's twenty two. I think we need to keep the likes of Pritchard and 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 part of the club as as as, as long as we can, and and um, hopefully other leaders will emerge. I think we've touched on Dan Ballard, and yeah, I think I read somewhere this week that you know he he's a bit of a voice as well in the in the mm, yeah. behind the scenes, and I'm sure when one goes, you know, others other voices kind of fill that space, and and, and maybe Ballard is one of those that he'll grow into more of a, a leadership role. Indeed, I think that just about. Um... Wraps up the podcast. Can I just say, Sobs, though, I was listening back to um, to last week's podcast, and uh, who's Patrick Stewart? <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a friend of uh, Brian Blessed, I believe. <laughs> no, that did make me chuckle. That was um, that was good stuff. Well, uh, gentlemen, once again, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a 
It's been a great honour having you both on the podcast. You can find Sobs' work, of course, over at ALS and Graham Atkinson and the lads over at the Wise Men Say podcast. I think they have a Monday show out um, around about now. Plenty of written content on both sites as well. But yeah, gents, thank you once again for listening. You can find, of course, I'll get shot if I don't say this. Loads of content over at the Sunderland Echo as well. We're on TikTok, YouTube, all of that good stuff. Um, yeah, once again, thank you very much. You're welcome. Cheers, gents.